0: people believe what they say not what they hear it's it's so powerful and that's that's the the whole idea behind mastering vegan outreach and and, and the the coaching framework that i teach it's if we can find ways and we can ask powerful questions to get people to come to their own conclusions, they're more likely, they're most likely to be convinced by their own conclusions than by ones that other people have discovered. That's a bit of a paraphrase of a, of a quote from Blaise Pascal. But um, yeah, when people figure it out for themselves, it's so much more powerful.
1: Welcome to the Vegan Manly Man Podcast. What is going on guys welcome back to another episode of the vegan manly man podcast as always I'm your host jake singer and this is the show where we talk about self-growth plant-based living and sharing the message of love compassion and peace for all beings On today's episode, I have an amazing guest who I think a lot of us can learn some amazing tools and techniques from, not only to be better animal rights activists, but also just to be better communicators in all areas of our lives. Alex Bez is an international animal rights educator, activist, and professional communication coach. After leaving a successful career as a corporate sales director, Alex created Amazing Vegan Outreach, a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing professional learning and development services for animal rights activists. AVO's workshops, webinars, videos, and speeches focused on effective communication and animal rights advocacy have reached hundreds of thousands of people worldwide. I think you guys are going to gain a lot of insight in this episode by hearing what Alex has to say. And Please, as always, if you do enjoy the content, leave me a rating and review on iTunes, and be sure to tell a friend as well. So, Without further ado, please enjoy the interview with Alex Bez. Alex, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I'm really stoked to have you here today. Um, effective communication is something that I'm super interested in, and having just recently um, kind of passed a course on coaching and, you know, powerful motivational interviewing. Uh, like I said, this is something I'm, I'm very interested in. So uh, thanks for being here, man, and um, giving your time to share your insight with the listeners.
0: Yeah, man, thanks for thanks for having me. And I'm, I'm excited to, uh, to talk about this subject.
1: So let's do it absolutely so man uh, with my podcast I always start with a kind of a heavy hitter question just to give everyone an idea of what you're really about and then we'll kind of break it down from there understand how you got to that point in your life Um, so what is your mission statement for life what do you hope to achieve while you're here on earth
0: (laughs) that's a good question I would say, and and this, I don't want it to sound like a cop out answer, but I I think that when I think about what is most important to me in life, it's it's a bit of a selfish answer, and it's to be happy, you know. And I think a lot of people want that. And so the question then is, how do you find happiness? And that has changed for me. Like that that answer has really evolved over the last, I guess, thirty eight years of my life. I wasn't thinking about this when I was one year old, but uh, (laughs) it's it's definitely changed for me. And. What, I, what I've realized is that for me happiness comes from fulfillment and feeling fulfilled in life and that is one thing that I felt was somewhat lacking in my professional career which I know we'll, we'll get into this as to you know how I switched over and, and started doing activism full-time but uh, but at the end of, at the end of the day I want to feel fulfilled and that's what leads to happiness so that fulfillment now comes in the form of helping others and trying to maybe leave the world uh, a better place than when I got here. And that's what leads me to do what I'm doing now. So, yeah, it's, it's to be happy and, and and through
1: fulfillment. Awesome. Yeah, definitely agree with that. I think everyone just wants to be happy at the end of it. Um, and it's amazing to find that people, you know, find happiness by helping others I think that's super cool. Um, And it's a common theme here on the podcast. And I say it every episode, (laughs) but it's so true. I haven't had anyone come on here yet and say, uh, you know, (laughs) I just want to make a lot of money and go buy some nice cars or something like, you know, everyone that I've actually interviewed on here is like, man, I want to make a difference in the world, or I want to show others how they can be happy. And that makes me happy. That brings me fulfillment. So it really comes back to that common theme of just giving back to others.
0: I think it's easy to get. And I was lost in that trap in that world where I was focused on that, on just making lots of money and buying fancy crap that that doesn't really lead to happiness. And what I realized was, and this was the the beauty of that movie, uh, The Matrix, is that you can be, you can kind of achieve a certain level of, I don't know if you can call it happy, let's say happiness, whatever, for for lack of a better word, Uh, you can achieve a certain level within that matrix. But when you start becoming aware of all of the other things in the world that you know that surround you for me it was difficult to stay in that world in the in the yeah in that world that's really just focused on money and accumulation of wealth when there were so many other issues and and primarily for me I think the reduction of suffering when I became aware of how much suffering there is in the world obviously was really difficult to deal with but it's like how can I spend all my time just focusing on myself when there are so many others who don't have anything near that, like not, not even close. And I know, you know, I know there's a lot of human issues and there have always been, and I've been somewhat aware of them. I'm probably still not fully aware of, of all of them. And so I, 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 usually get this question is the, you know, why focus on non-human animals when there's so many humans that need our help yeah. and, you know, I know you didn't ask me this question, but I'm going to answer it anyway. <laughs> um, the The reason why, I think, is just the, the scale. The scale is, I, it's a combination maybe, actually, no, there's three things. The scale of it, it's just so unbelievably enormous. I can't even wrap my head around the number of individual non-human animals that are suffering right now, but beyond that. Is the fact that it's not even considered a problem for for most of society. I think it's starting to change, and no, I, I think it is starting to change. You can see that. But when I started doing this, and even now, it's still not a big issue in most on, on most people's uh, minds. And then the last one is that the solution to it is so bloody easy, right? right? Yeah. So easy, like it's such simple minor changes in in our lives that can have such a profound impact. That, you know, I don't know what I can do to end wars in in countries across the world. I don't know how I even contribute to that necessarily. I can't wrap my mind around that. Right. This is very easy for people to wrap their minds around. When you go to the supermarket, you buy a different product and the problem is done. So that's why that's, I think, what motivated me to, to, to work in this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing, man. I, honestly, I could not agree more with that. That's to me, that's what it's about. Um, cause it's, like you said, it's not that, it's not that we don't care about these other issues. It's like, you know, what can we do on a day-to-day basis? Like, you know, uh, if I want to help, I don't know, feed, feed children in another country, you know, like I can donate money to this organization to help that. Um, but you know, I'm limited to a certain extent of how much You know resources I have to be able to do that. But what I can do every day is have three choices that I make an alternate option. Instead of choosing meat, dairy, and eggs, I can choose a plant-based alternative. And the power and the ripple effect that that has on providing a solution to problems that most people aren't even aware of or problems that are tangents off of other problems is tremendous. It is so powerful. So that's why this movement, I think, has uh, such a powerful impact and gives people a real sense of purpose is because it is such an easy thing that you can do to make an amazing difference. So that's, yeah, 100%, man, I, I agree. Well said.
0: Yeah. And I'm glad you said the word tangents as well, because, uh, you know, I think that the, the health aspect and the health benefits of eating plant-based and of course the massive environmental, uh, benefits of eating plant-based, they're super important and, you know, when you think about happiness being a goal for a lot of people, I think you can't be genuinely happy if you're suffering from debilitating diseases. So, of course, that's important. Uh, but for me, it always boils down to the, the victims of speciesism, the, the animals that are just absolutely being... Brutalized and tortured, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure about your experience if you've ever been to a slaughterhouse or inside of a slaughterhouse. But when when you go inside those places, it's just absolutely gut wrenching. And it's like, how can we how can we do this to living beings, and then you know turn a blind eye to that and just go and live a happy life? Like I, I don't know how to do that, and and I wasn't able to do that, which is what led me here.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Uh, I mean, I haven't been in a slaughterhouse. Um, I don't know if I want to say luckily, but like, cause I do want to expose myself to that and, and really, you know, bear witness. I just, I haven't really had the opportunity for it yet. I mean, I've recently been getting a lot more into, you know, outreach and street activism, uh, which is amazing. I love it. It, it gives me a real sense of fulfillment. And of course I've seen all the documentaries and stuff like that, but yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, that, that definitely was my motivator was the animal suffering but, you know, there is absolutely something to be said for, you know, the, the tangents, the, the health aspects and the environmental impact. And, you know, even like, you know, food redistribution is something people don't even think about. But if we were to eat a plant based diet and had a proper system in place, you know, like we could feed the world over and nobody would have to go hungry. So there's right. so many outlets and, and different avenues that, that the vegan lifestyle can really go down to, to help you know, people and animals and the earth. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think people are primarily motivated by, you know, the animal rights aspect, the ethical vegans, um, you know, are really passionate about that side. But, you know, it it takes nothing away from these other causes that come along with it. Like you're doing good for many things at once. So, um, yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, if someone, I'd be interested, but if someone could, show me or convince me that there was another, another small, very, very, what I would consider now in my life, insignificant behavior change that someone can take that would have such a big impact on the world. I would, I would probably switch causes, you know, but there's so many benefits. There's so many wins that come from this small change in your life that it's what I want to focus on. And it's what I try to inspire people to do. And I try to support people who are Working towards that.
1: Definitely, definitely. Well, obviously, you didn't come to this um, part of your life, you know, uh, e- I don't want to say easily, but it didn't happen overnight. So, talk about your life growing up, your background, you know, what eventually led you down this path to where you are now?
0: Sure. So, I am, I was born in Toronto uh, from Canada, uh, lived here my whole life. I had a really Great life uh, growing up. I had a great family life. Uh, I'm the eldest of three brothers. Really loving parents. Um, I, I was fortunate enough to go to a really good school as well growing up. So I, I had I had uh, I had what I would consider like a perfect life. I, I had no no big challenges in life up until uh, the point where. I lost my youngest brother. So my youngest brother passed away when he was 18. I would have been 21 at the time, I think. 21 or 22? 22, 22 at the time. And, uh, and that was probably the biggest challenge that I, not probably, it, it 100% was the biggest challenge that I faced in life up until that point and ever since. Yeah, that was, that was by far the hardest thing. Um, I learned some things from that. Uh, and, and the main thing that I learned from that was that, despite going through probably what was the biggest tragedy that I could ever imagine, um, you know, I, I realized how close our family was, how supportive all of our friends were. And at the end of the day, we got through that and getting through that and being able to be happy, um, after experiencing such a big loss really, I think helped me in some ways in life to, Maintain what I think I always had, but really enforced that kind of stress-free, low-stress type of attitude toward life—that it's not worth stressing about things, especially the small things in life. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that—that that was that was a horrible experience, but also a really uh, educational experience as well. And then, um, yeah, I went to I went to uh, university for business uh, for management, uh, and ever since I was working, I always worked in sales and communications. Uh, Well, sorry, in sales and and focusing on communication, and I ended up uh, leading sales teams and training people on sales and communication techniques, and it's kind of what led me to the work that I'm doing now. There's just such a strong parallel between what I did in, in my career, my professional career, and now what I do in order to support the animal rights movement
1: right? Now, was that something that you wanted to get into, or you just kind of found yourself, you know, like, I feel like a lot of young kids just like kind of pick something that sounds good or that can provide, you know, like stable income. That's a good question.
0: Uh,
1: my, fr- I mean, I think
0: like everything, you try something out and you see if you like it. And my first sales job was, uh, in early university, which was telemarketing. Oh, man. So I used to go to, uh, yeah, I go, used to go to this kind of crappy office and i'd sit down i would put the headset on and i would try to sell people subscriptions for the globe and mail the the, one of the canadian newspapers and uh it sucked it was it was horrible you know uh so much rejection and but at the same time uh i've always been a competitive person and especially competitive with myself and so it was such a challenge and the wins that you had when you had a win it felt so good you know i can imagine like uh you know, low scoring sports. So like a soccer game, for example, you know, soccer games can go for a long time. Uh, but there's very few goals. Like one goal can win you the match. And it's yeah. kind of the same idea with that. There was so much, so much, so many challenges in that job, but those couple wins felt so good yeah. that it kept me coming back for more. So I was kind of maybe a bit of a, a glutton for punishment, uh, <laughs> in, that, in that sense, but yeah, it was cool. And, and, uh, that started my sales career. Luckily I got out of that pretty quickly. Um, but that's what, that's how I started in sales.
1: Interesting. No, I'm with you on that, man. I I love, um, I love like the grind and the punishment of something. Um, just like battling it out and then like finally getting to the win, and just like it, it, yeah, it makes it so much more enjoyable. It's like doing an easy task brings no fulfillment to me just because I know that like I'm capable of so much more. So like, I want to just like grind and grind and punish myself to the point of just like, you know, pushing past anything I thought I was capable of so that when I do get that win, I'm just like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it feels good for sure. So you're doing this, you know, corporate sales leadership communication job. um, In the midst of this, Uh, when did you go vegan?
0: I was working for a travel company uh, in, in corporate sales and I had a colleague who was vegan, just from Germany. And one day I I was always, I've always been an open-minded person, very curious about things. And so I just walked into her office one day, I closed the door and I said, all right, tell me like, why would you do that? (laughs) Who who in the right mind? Like I, I respected her a lot. I was just like, why the hell would you do that? And she Was cool. She she didn't even say anything. She just took out a piece of paper, and she wrote down the name of a documentary and handed it to me and said, "Go watch that, and then we can talk." And I thought I thought that was a pretty cool approach. I mean, it definitely piqued my curiosity, and I definitely went home and I watched that documentary. And it was Forks Over Knives, which is available on Netflix for anyone who hasn't seen it. And it was interesting. It was definitely eye-opening. And what it did primarily for me was it made me start thinking about my food choices because it focuses on the health aspects of Mm -hmm. eating plant-based and and the dangers of, you know, having a a diet full of animal products. And so it started making me think, and I was uh, about 30 years old at the time. So, you know, my my the 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 natural kind of i was always involved in sports and the i guess the natural endurance that uh as a kid i guess you know and i consider being a kid even in your 20s uh that started fading a little bit so i was like i was i was curious i'm like okay so if i can change my diet a little bit and, and feel healthier that'd be great and i started making changes but Uh, I wasn't disciplined enough to to go plant-based because of that, but I was still really interested in it. And Then, at one point in the research that I was doing, I came across another documentary called Earthlings, and Earthlings shattered me, it broke my heart when I watched that. It just shows the reality of how we actually use animals and um at the end of that documentary as the credits started rolling i was instantly vegan i you know i just got rid of everything that was animal based in my life um and it was you know a lot of people view that as a very drastic decision or a very big change i'm like that was the easiest decision i've ever made in my life it was yeah. just so instant i'm like how could i participate in this now seeing what's going on here so yeah i went vegan uh, about 7 years ago um and it was ma- it was because of Earthlings. Earthlings was the, the, yeah, the reason why really because it wasn't it wasn't for health. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's amazing, man. We actually have a really similar story. I mean, I went vegan around seven years ago. I watched Forks Over Knives, which piqued my interest, <laughs> and then I was like vegetarian for about like six months, and then doing my own research, I stumbled across Earthlings. It shattered me, <laughs> and I was vegan. <laughs> you know, so it's funny, yeah. It's like they say the trifecta is what, forks over knives, earthlings, and cowspiracy. It's like how to make a vegan overnight or something, those memes. Like, yeah. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's totally. it really is true. I mean, like, and I actually think it's a great way uh, to get people interested in the lifestyle is talk about the health first if you have to. You know, if people, are, if people want to be selfish um, and just only... I don't want to say selfish, you know, like obviously like, you know, you should be worried about your own health. It's, it's something that's very important to people, you know, like play into that. If, if that is something that is important to someone, like don't, don't throw out the ethics right away. I mean, like shock factor is good, but if somebody is genuinely interested in the health side, talk to them about the health, get them thinking, get them, you know, watching a documentary better yet, get them starting to eat some plant-based foods because that will then chill and like, Hey, this is, I can do this. I can eat plant-based. Once the, once that seed is planted, it, it opens the door. It's a catalyst to opening the mind to the ethical side of it. Because I think a lot of people are pushed away from this movement because they don't think that they can do it and they don't have that initial interest. So if you can, you know, be drawn in by the health side of this, that's to me, that is perfectly fine. I think that that is one way to get people to be open to the ethics.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you 100. You can't um, you can't discount how important health is to people because let's be let's be real. Would we be having this conversation? Would you have this podcast? Would you even be vegan if it meant that it would have a significantly negative health impact? On that you know, going vegan it meant that I was going to die in five years. Yeah, I'm not going to be vegan. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So you know, people need to. I think. The fact that I understood that very well after forks over knives and doing more research allowed me so easily to make that decision after Earthlings because I knew that it was healthier. Right. I knew I right. already knew that. Right. So I'm like, well, what the hell's stopping me now that I know, you know, that I don't want to contribute to all this pain and suffering. So I think it's I think it's important when I when I train activists in how to communicate um, veganism and how to inspire others to go vegan, you definitely have to touch on the health aspect. You definitely have to find out if the other person believes that we can be healthy and even happy I, I i go so far as to say can you be even happy yeah. without consuming animal products and, and someone has to be able to get to yes on that before you start hitting them with the uh, with other questions that might you know lead them to make a decision to give up animal products they have to believe that it's healthy and, and that they can be happy and if mm-hmm. not you need to spend some time on that to make sure they can make the next leap i think
1: yeah, definitely. That's actually one of the questions I ask when I do street out- outreach: is if you could live happy and healthy without hurting others, would you? Beautiful. And typically, yeah. the the answer is always going to be yes. You know, who's going to say no to that? I mean, like the one uh, percent of uh, sadistic people that are out there, you know, I, I don't even want to associate with them. <laughs> but I think that we are innately compassionate people and creatures. Um, so if you ask someone if they can, you know, if they would want to be happy and healthy while not hurting anything else, of course they're going to say yes. So um, yeah, for sure. It's get them to understand that, hey, this is this is capable. It's animal products are not necessary. Uh, and, and then once, once that is kind of established, then it's, I think, a lot easier to be able to say, oh, and by the way, this is what's happening to these animals.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree with you 100%. And, and sometimes it seems a little silly to ask a question like that that's so obvious, but sometimes the most obvious questions are things or, or lead to concepts that people don't often think about consciously. So by asking them questions that bring these topics to their consciousness in this conversation, it's that's definitely part of the, the coaching technique that I teach people. It's how to get people to recognize their own values, right? Because we all, we all know this. We, we hear this all the time that people already have vegan values. We just need to help them align their actions with their values. So if that's the case, and, and I think most people would agree with that, then it's like, how do you get people to recognize the values they currently hold? Because a lot of them are subconscious or they're unconscious about them? And how do you bring them out to the consciousness in the middle of this conversation so they can very clearly see for themselves that their own actions aren't aligning right now with their values? And then you coach them on how they can do that. So that's the, you know, asking these types of questions is not a bad thing. I think some people think like, oh, well, why would I ask that? You know, obviously, obviously they're going to feel that way, but that's fine. That's good for them to to say that.
1: Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, we've grown up our whole lives to have this huge disconnect and, you know it is that cogn- cognitive dissonance um you know and and so yeah you get people to like you said realize what their own values are and get them to then align um but the, i think the key and and of course you'll talk more on this um is getting them to realize it not you telling them you know so uh the, the power in that is is tremendous so you're in this you're doing your corporate job uh, you go vegan you know how long, how long do you stay in that position then? You know, at what point are you starting to think like, Oh, I'm not as fulfilled as I want to be. And now I want to start, you know, moving in a different direction in life.
0: That took a while. Uh, you know, it's, it's heavily ingrained and you're, you're heavily conditioned that that is what you're supposed to be doing. And I felt like I was successful. You know, I was, uh, in a job that I thought would take me longer to get into, uh, I was making more money than I ever expected to make uh, at that point in my life. So I felt really good in what I was doing. And it took me a while to um, to change. Not not that, you know, I mean, if someone's fulfilled in that, then then great. But I think what happened for me was... I was vegan for about two and a half years before I did anything activism-related. Uh, I, and I, I had never been active for any cause in my life before that. I was very much focused on myself and my career. And so it was at a book reading uh, by Dr. Will Tuttle, who wrote The World Peace Diet in Toronto, that I ran into a guy that I used to work with at Apple uh, a few years back, and then um, his, his name was Mike, and I'm like, Mike, you're vegan, and he's like, Yeah, you're a vegan too, and I'm like, Yeah, and that was really it was <laughs> cool to see this guy. He used to work with, and he was the guy that introduced me to Toronto Calsave, and we uh, he invited me to go to a vigil at a slaughterhouse and to just be there when the trucks arrived, and that was an incredibly powerful and life changing moment for me because I had seen videos of what happened to animals, but what is very difficult to do for most people is to develop a a real, genuine connection with anyone if it's not in person, you know? If you can't interact with them. I couldn't interact with the videos. So when I was at the slaughterhouse and that first truck pulled up and I looked inside and I made eye contact with this dairy cow who was going in to have her throat sliced open, Uh, It was just, it was a really touching and intense moment that instantly led me to realize that I had to do more, that being vegan wasn't enough, because veganism is essentially a non-action, right? It's not hurting others, but it's not actually helping others. So... Uh, I mean, unless you want to say, well, by not hurting, you're also helping. But that's, I think it's a bit of a stretch. Like, if I don't go out and if I don't go out and shoot people in the head today, uh, I can't go. I can't say I'm helping people today. I've, I've done my job. I've done my good deed for the day. Um, so it's just, I think that when you look at it in context, because it's so normalized, this violence that we participate in, then you feel like you're helping. But I, you know, I was pretty clear on that that I wasn't. So then I started becoming active and I started doing, uh, I started working a lot with the save movement and, um, but that's what kicked it off for me was that, uh, was that vigil. And that's essentially what started the process to me shifting the way that I was thinking and what I felt I wanted to do in life. And it took a few years, uh, that would have been in my first vigil was November, 2014. And. It maybe took me another year, year and a half, if I remember correctly, something like that, to end up making kind of the the jump. We're in 2019 now, so yeah, some, somewhere around that time. And then I, I left the corporate world and I started working full-time in, uh, in animal rights.
1: So, you know, you obviously have your own organization now, um, AVO, Amazing Vegan Outreach did you initially go right into that from corporate or did you do something else in animal rights first that, you know, kind of set you up to to have this organization?
0: Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't have it right away. So it, it, my introduction to animal rights was through the save movement. And I happened to live very close to the co-founder of the save movement, Anita Krines. Um We actually yep. live mm-hmm. like about. Two blocks from each other. So, oh wow! <laughs> uh, coming from the corporate world, obviously, I had certain skills uh, that would benefit uh, a movement that was just kind of getting going, that was starting up, and uh, so we we worked together quite a bit. And my focus was on helping grow the Save movement to start. I also come from both my parents were raised in uh, South America, so they both speak Spanish, as do I, and that. Also led Anita to ask me to travel down to South America and Central America to help open uh, chapters, so to help inspire vegans and animal rights activists to bear witness, to go to slaughterhouses, and to uh, help expose what was happening there. And I did that for, for a while. And it was kind of just this organic, uh, this, the, the way that I got into it was fairly organic. I, I wasn't so intentional about just doing that. At some point, though, Uh, you know, there's not a lot of money. There's not a lot of money in animal rights and I had to find a way I was living off savings a lot and I had to find a way to support myself and just to be able to do this, um, sustainably. And so I started challenging myself to think, well, what can I contribute to the movement? What are some skills that I have? And up until that point, as silly as it sounds, I was only thinking about things that I had done in the movement. And what I had done up until then was a lot of photography and videography work. So I, I, had, I had always been into, well, always, for the past, I don't know, 15 years, I'd been in, into photography as a hobby. And then when I started in the movement, they really wanted videography um, done. And so I learned that pretty quickly. And I really enjoyed doing that. And I thought that, well, if I can do that full time, because there are some people, uh, some, like one of my idols is Joanne MacArthur, who runs We Animals. And her work is absolutely incredible. It's stunning. Um, it's beautiful, beautiful work. So I was thinking along the lines of that. And but the problem is I'm not as good as Joanne. Uh, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> a, a professional photographer, you know? And so I, I I kinda in my gut I knew it wasn't the right way to go. And so I just kept challenging myself to think, well, what else? What else can I can I give to this movement? And then one day I was lying in bed and I was thinking, I'm like, well, what the hell? I've been doing a certain thing for 20 years in my life why don't I share the skills that I've learned over the 20 years with people that would probably appreciate them? And, and sure enough, that's how Ava was born. I probably spent the next week or two not sleeping very much. I was so excited because as <laughs> soon as I thought about that, I just knew how many people wanted to be able to inspire others to go vegan. And I, and I also recognized, you know, in, in going to different outreach events, uh, even before Anonymous existed, um, Earthings experiences, and uh, I also used to do a lot of VR outreach, virtual reality outreach, which was fantastic. Um, I, I noticed that people struggled in those conversations, and for me, there's absolutely no difference between sales and outreach. You, I mean, I think anyone that doesn't recognize that they're selling when they're outreaching, um, or at least that they have the potential to be, to the, they, have, they have the potential to influence people because I think some people are just uh, a few people uh, just think that it's about just giving information and then letting people go and figure it out themselves. Whereas I think that we have a huge opportunity to actually inspire people in that moment to commit to themselves to make certain changes uh, or at the very least go home and watch some documentaries or take the the vegan 22 challenge. So to, to me, there was there were so many parallels that I thought, yeah, you know what? This is a, a good set of skills to share with people. And sure enough, people have, have really appreciated it.
1: Yeah, definitely. There's a guy I listen to uh, pretty frequently. His name's Andy Frisella. Um, he has a podcast called the MF CEO project. It's more like a uh, business entrepreneurial, but he says one thing in there and I'm probably going to butcher what he says, but th- I'll give you the gist of it. You know, he's like, there's only three things that, that people sell in life and it's like, you know, hope entertainment and and convenience or something like that, like something along those lines. Yeah. Uh, so, so true when you are talking about, you know um, the vegan lifestyle to somebody, you're, you're selling them hope. You're selling them hope for um, a happy, healthy life that isn't contributing to the atrocities that they're seeing. Generally, if you're doing outreach on the, on the screens, if it's a cube or, you know, whatever, if they're in any way, you're selling them hope for, for a better way of life. Right. So it, it absolutely, there is a parallel between, you know, selling and, and doing this. And I think communication is absolutely the the most effective thing people can do, to enhance that experience and, and be more effective when they're doing activism, because I, I see it all the time online, and it pains me. There's so many vegans that are so passionate about this cause, uh, just like I am, and like so many others. But the way they are delivering the message is just not in the right way, and and it's and, and they could be, they could be so much more effective. They could really, really. Be getting people interested in this lifestyle if they would just go about the way they deliver the message uh and you know i was watching one of your speeches before doing this podcast and you know one of the things you said that really resonated with me is like a lot of vegans like we're we're experts we're experts on on veganism we know generally speaking if somebody were to come up to us and ask a lot of things we would know a lot of answers and, and give some really good information but the key difference is in the way that we deliver that message. And, you know, obviously this is exactly what you do. You know, you are the expert in this field. You know, how, talk a little bit more about why that is so important. Yeah. I think one of the
0: biggest traps that any of us fall into, and I'm thinking specifically back to salespeople, but you could apply this to outreachers just the same is that when we become experts in a field when we learn a lot, when we research a lot and, and we learn a lot, we have this need to share that information with other people. And I talk a lot about the difference between process and content in my workshops and, and, and webinars. And the content, as important as it is, you know, we should spend time learning and reading and watching documentaries and researching and whatever we want to do, we should learn it. But then when we go to communicate it, the process of communication is a whole different thing. And because people get defensive, because people have egos, we can't just stand there and preach to them and just, you know, bomb them with information because that's not how we work. Like people, as much as we like to think of ourselves as you know rational thinkers and rational beings, a lot of the... Uh, decisions that we make or a lot of the the decisions we don't make come from a from an emotional place and so there's this process which is a bit science a bit art in how you communicate things to people and I think that you know you touched on it you said something great that communication is one of those skills that a lot of us don't necessarily spend a lot of time learning or practicing because well heck anybody can communicate I mean it's the fact that we can speak to each other, we're communicating. But to be really effective, especially when it comes to inspiring others and driving behavior change in others, that's a whole different way of communicating. It's it's a, a whole different skill set that I had to learn. And in learning that, you recognize that when you do that, when, when you're conscious about it and you do it well, the results that you get, the way that people react to you and to the, the information that you're giving them because you're using a specific process to deliver that is... Almost magical. Like you see these people making these changes right in front of you. And it's, you're not doing anything except using a different process that doesn't come natural to us because our, our the most natural process is kind of the debating style where someone will give you some information and then you'll kind of hit them back with some different information that disproves that. And you're kind of trying to prove that you're right to this person, even if it's in the nicest way. Mm -hmm. And I I, I try to change people's perspectives on how we can communicate and to to really try and avoid that.
1: Yeah, it's like kind of listening with intent to reply rather than the intent to add value to the conversation. I think we're all guilty of that, um, you know, at at some point or another. But, you know, obviously, when you learn these tools, um, you can go about it in such a different way and be able to use that in in very uh, specific scenarios, like we're talking about vegan outreach. Um, And it's, it is incredibly powerful. I mean, it's, it's, it it applies to so many other things besides just outreach. If you're coaching someone on, you know, how to live a healthier life or how to lose weight or, you know, eat healthier or anything, you know, like when you, when you implement a certain system um, of communication that you aren't used to, rather than, just trying to give them all this info. It's like, you know, like, it's like eliciting this, um, this response from within themselves. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of, uh, I know, like some of the techniques that, like the communication uh, methods that you use, and, and some of the stuff I've learned as well. It's like, so it is this different way of really, of really getting people to find these answers within themselves. And like, you know, people want <laughs> people want to hear themselves people want to share their ideas and stuff so you know when you reflect everything back on the person that you're talking to and you, and you take away your own ego and like trying to be right and trying to just you know share 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 and you reflect yeah. everything back on them it puts them in a position of like answering their own questions that might go against what they just said you know exactly yeah and,
0: and it has to be it is a very conscious
1: process and for anyone
0: who might be listening to this who knows me, or or especially who knows me really well, you know that I'm not perfect at this at all. Like It's one of these things where you have to be so conscious about this style of communication because it's not what comes instinctively to us, that when I'm emotional, um, when I'm in an argument, for example, like when I'm talking to my brother and we're arguing over something, all, all the stuff that I know, I forget. It just goes out the window, and I and I fall back to this really horrible way of communicating, which is not productive, which ends up in arguments and fights. And it's when I can be conscious about it, when I can maybe step back, take a breather, and then implement this. It's just like it's almost like it's a kinder, (laughs) less selfish way of communicating. I guess Uh, those conversations go a lot better, but uh, it it takes conscious. You have to be conscious of it in the moment. I'm just, you know, I'm just as bad as anyone else. Like you just fall into this argument kind of. uh, framework.
1: It's easy to have an emotional reaction. You really have to ground yourself into, you know, before you go into anything, just saying, okay, what is is the ultimate purpose? Why am I here? What's going to be the most effective way? And just keep on reminding yourself of that because it is so easy to have an emotional response. But if you are a consciously aware person, the more you practice doing that, the the faster that you can catch yourself, uh, you know, before reacting in this emotional way. So, you know, that, that's a thing that I tell people a lot is like, just, just practice, just practice being self-aware, like throughout, throughout the day, just stop and just realize that you are having thoughts and try to understand them and try to see where they're coming from. And, and then just try to look at them objectively and and practice doing that. And so when you are in these situations where it's, going to be easy to have an emotional reaction. Like you can jump to that place quickly rather than having that reaction. Like most people do. And it's not at any fault to them because we've grown up our whole lives to, to not learn these skills. We've grown up to be very reactive people based off of emotion. So, you know, it's, it's no fault to the individual. This is kind of how we're wired. You know, our, our ego is there for our purpose, but if you can learn to kind of transcend it, um, it's very powerful. You hold a lot of power in that. So,
0: yeah, that's that's a tough thing. I always say if, if we could learn to, like you said, transcend or manage our egos, uh, the world would be a much better place, you know, and, and it's it's tricky because we'll never get rid of them. And I think that that's one of the biggest things that I'm constantly working on for myself is is recognizing my own ego and trying to manage it as best as possible.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I want to touch back a little bit back on. um you know, amazing vegan outreach, which is your organization. Uh, so we talked a little bit about how you kind of came into that um, and how it was founded. But what is the you know? Let's talk about the mission behind the organization. What are you really trying to do? Obviously, people listening so far are realizing that you're a person who is passionate about communication. But go a little bit more into depth. Um, you know, what do you do with the organization?
0: Yeah. So the the general mission of of Avo is to empower animal rights activists to inspire behavior change in others by using professional communication and coaching techniques. It's basically it. So just giving them the tools that will help them achieve what it is that they want to do. Most people want to inspire behavior change in others. That's why they're activists. And so it's giving them one set of tools. I mean, there's lots of different set of tools that, that we should try to develop as activists. But on the communication side, especially the one-on-one communication Uh, side, that's where these tools, I think, help people the most.
1: Yeah. So what kind of things do you do with the organization to share this message?
0: There are three main things that I do. So the first one, and probably my favorite to do, is the two-day professional trainings that I offer. So anybody in the world can send me a message and say, hey, we want the, uh, the Mastering Vegan Outreach workshop in our city, and I will do my best to make it out there. And, uh, yeah, we, we go through two days of, it's a pretty intense training. It's a fun training. There's a lot of interactive, uh, activities, there's group work, there's role playing, there's all types of stuff that help people go from whatever stage they're at right now with their communication and, and just amp it up, you know, to get, to get better at communicating at inspiring behavior change in others. So that's my favorite. And then the second way that I do that, uh, which is, limits or i should say it helps with the geographical limitations are webinars so with the webinars obviously anybody in the world can tune into those and there's a collection of webinars now that is on the avo website so www.amazingveganoutreach.com and uh, in the video library there you can see there's been nine so far there's a 10th one coming up soon and the webinar is about 45 minutes an hour uh, plus q a as well uh, for the people that attend live And, um, they're, they're just, uh, kind of most of them are just zooming in to different portions of the communication framework that we cover in the workshop. So it's a a little bit more digestible. You know, if you have 45 minutes, you can sit down and and watch a a webinar and, uh, and then go out, you know, the next time that you go to a cube or any sort of outreach event, or when you, when you're just talking to a friend or, or a family member, you can try to implement those skills from each one of the webinars. And the third one is leadership coaching. So I used to coach a lot of my staff members throughout my career in performance coaching and career coaching. And so I, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm the most skilled coach in the world by any stretch, but uh, you know, I can, I can provide value to people uh, by implementing a very similar framework that's taught in the, in the workshop to helping them uh, discover, you know, what their values are, what they're trying to achieve, how to achieve those, uh, if they're struggling with, uh, different things. And usually it's, it's activism related, uh, helping them in a, in a coaching conversation. And so all of those services are available to any animal rights activists in the world for free.
1: Wow. That's good stuff, man. Amazing. I think it's, uh, really something important that, uh, a lot of activists need, uh, is just that f- further education of, hey, how can I be better? You know, we're all passionate about this movement. So obviously, I think uh, you're doing yourself an injustice if you don't want to continue growing yourself to become the best that you can possibly be uh, by sharing this message. So um, that's awesome, man. Super needed in this movement, and glad somebody has has taken the step up to really provide that service, uh, especially for free. Um, you know, uh, for some of your your services. Is everything free, or is is it? I know the maybe the two day workshop a little bit different as far as that goes, or or is the whole whole? Thing, I know you're a nonprofit, but
0: <laughs> yeah, everybody always wonders like, how the hell do you do this full time? It's a full time job, and you don't charge anybody anything. And uh, <laughs> that's a good question. So I, I learned about this system when I took uh, a training called Kingian Nonviolence. So Martin Luther King's kind of philosophy and strategy in the in the civil rights movement, phenomenal, phenomenal workshop. And they the organization that put this on ran their entire organization based on uh, gift economics. And gift economics, what it means in a nutshell, is that all of the goods and services that are offered within the gift economy don't have any set price. There's no fee to take advantage of, of, of those uh, goods and services. And in return, every person who benefits from those is invited to offer a voluntary gift so that the provider of those can continue providing those to other people. So in essence, it's a way to kind of pay it forward if you value what you've received from the provider. And the beauty of that is when I, you know, of course, there are massive costs for me to travel somewhere in the world to deliver a two-day workshop you know all the transportation the food the the accommodation all that stuff but when people receive value from that and they genuinely want other people to experience that then people are often willing to support the organization so they can continue doing their work and it's um, for me the most important part about that is that there's no limitation there's no financial limitation for people because if I charged what um, I mean, I can never charge what I charge in this corporate sales world, of course, but if if I even just charged what I needed to cover my costs for, for those uh, events, well, what would happen is some people would be like, oh, that's really cheap. That's no problem. I can afford that. But other people would say, I can't afford that. I can't afford to go to this workshop. And so I don't want to create these barriers for people. Um and so it's very it's very open. It's just, you know, kind of give what you can and give how much you want to support. And uh if somebody can't afford to give anything, that's fine. I want them to still use all of the services so that they can improve and they can, you know, help animals better. And the people that can support do support and it's it's worked out really well for the for the past year.
1: Wow, that's awesome. So, I want to ask a question uh in regards to people delivering this vegan message. Why do so many people Seem seemingly miss the mark when sharing the information behind veganism that can sometimes result in labels such as pushy, extremist, or annoying. (laughs) That's how that's how we usually open up the workshop. We
0: start we start talking about that, and and I have to draw the parallel between salespeople and vegans, right? Because salespeople have the exact same labels, right? They're pushy. They're annoying. Uh, we, we kind of feel the same way in general about salespeople as society does about us and vegans. And what I believe leads to those labels is that, well, when you think of salespeople, they obviously have an incentive to get you to buy something, right? And that incentive is a very strong one. It's money. People get commissions. They get paid if you buy stuff. So they don't want to let you go. And then they're, they're annoying and they're pushy. And vegans, although we don't get... Paid, right? We don't. I, I suppose most people don't get money if someone goes vegan. Uh, yeah, that, that would be nice. <laughs>
1: that would be it, pretty cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. If someone knows how to do that, let me know. I, I would love to be involved <laughs> in that. Um, but uh, for us, we have to recognize. Well, what's our motivation? You know, why why are we viewed as pushy and annoying? And we have a very strong motivator. In, in, in fact, I think it's stronger than money. For me, it is, which is this th- this sense of fulfillment that you are. Helping others, that you're helping animals, that you're even helping the individual with whom you're speaking. So we we do have a very strong drive to make changes to get people to buy whatever information we're selling, you know. And um, and then the question is, well, what tools and what process can we use, and even what mindset, what excuse me, what attitude can we adopt that will help us more authentically communicate? What it is that we're trying to communicate, right? Because nobody, when, when I asked this question in the, in the workshops and I asked for a show of hands, uh, the only people that put their hands up are kind of the jokers. They, they, they want to make it a, you know, a bit of a joke. But I say, how many people here want to come across or want to be pushy or annoying? Right. And, and really nobody wants to be. Some people are okay with it uh, yeah. because they're defending a, a just cause, but most people don't want to come across that way. So it's like, well, what can we do then in our communication style to reflect, you know, how can we align our values with our actions? Right. It's funny how that even applies to us. Right. We don't want to be that way yet. We come across that way sometimes. Yeah. So that's the idea behind this different communication style and this different framework is actually aligning our actions with their values. So we're more authentic when we communicate and people are more likely to listen to us and actually um, challenge their own beliefs and come up with their own perceptions of the problems and of the solutions.
1: Yeah. So you think like, uh, you know, coming more from the genuine place of, hey, I'm a, I'm a compassionate person um, and I'm just trying to make a difference, um, you know, rather than saying... Hey I've discovered this lifestyle that does good and you're not living it and so I'm angry at you and this is my emotional response like you know it's just like it's it's creating that difference between the vibe that you're giving out more or less you know like your your attitude and, and the way you're delivering the message is just you know like you said more important than the content itself almost
0: Yeah this is the the, the tricky thing with this framework is that really good coaches, detach themselves from the outcome and they actually they actually um, are somewhat, they, they manage to make themselves somewhat impartial or unbiased within this topic. So what you're actually trying to do, at least what I'm trying to do when I'm speaking to someone, is not convince them of anything. I'm not trying to even educate them. Uh, I mean, those are maybe side benefits of the conversation. But what I'm actually trying to do is I'm just trying to facilitate thought for them. I'm yeah. trying to help them make sense of their own thoughts of what they're perceiving on a screen if they are at a cube and when you do that when you help unravel this twisted mess of thoughts that's in their head and you get, you provide them with clarity and that's what good coaches do they provide others with clarity they're able to you know make the same rational thoughts and and steps that we've managed to make and so that's the idea behind The coaching framework
1: so you think a lot of activists are just you know uh missing that that is the point is to facilitate thought in other people and not necessarily trying to convince them to go vegan
0: i mean i don't know if i necessarily phrase it that way but do i personally believe that people could um could do better at achieving their own goals yeah, probably. I mean, that goes for all of us. Uh, so if someone's goal is to influence somebody, or I like to say inspire someone to go vegan or to watch a documentary or whatever that is, then I think that a lot of people, not through no fault of their own, they just don't have that, that formal training, they adopt a communication style that might not be the most effective to achieve that goal.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that, definitely so take me through a scenario of let's say you're doing outreach and uh let's say like a young guy or a girl comes up and is curious about what you're doing Uh, let's say for instance you're doing a cube um, and for those that don't know a cube is just basically you have activists um, standing in a cube formation uh, holding tvs and signs uh, and the tvs are displaying you know slaughterhouse footage and then you have people who are on outreach which are just some people who are floating around the cube and waiting for people to walk by, see this footage, and and talk to those people. So, say you're doing outreach, and you know you have this young girl or guy come up to you, they start to watch the the footage. What is the first question that you're asking them?
0: <laughs> so, you you want to know the actual first thing that I say to people? Yeah. So, okay, I I walk up, I'd say about 90% of my conversations start out the exact same way. And the other 10% uh, are different only because maybe there's something really relevant that I can address. Like, for example, if someone is very visibly upset at what they're seeing, my approach would be different, I I would start off a little differently. But you know, the typical thing is someone's just standing there, kind of just gazing at the footage. They might have a slightly confused look on their face because they're like, what the heck is this whole thing that's happening here? And my question when I walk up to them is simply, um, hey, do you, do you know what's going on here? Yeah. I ask people, hey, do you know what's going on here? And the reason I ask that question, it has a very specific reason. Uh, I, I know that the, the potential answers can go two ways. Uh, one of them can be No. They, something like I don't, I'm not too sure what's happening here. The other one can be uh, them trying to explain to me what's happening because they might not recognize right away that I'm with the organization. I could just be another bystander, being like, "Hey, Dick, do you know what's going on here?" And either way, it's a nice way to break the ice because if they say no, then I can just say, oh, well, we're a group called Anonymous for the Voiceless and we have, you know, about a thousand uh, chapters around the world and we do this. We go on the streets. We show people what happens to animals in this industry or in certain industries. And, um, have you ever seen footage like that before? And then I get into the conversation and I have a whole kind of set list of questions in one of the webinars the webinar that's called powerful questions and i have a whole set list of the exact questions that i would like to be able to ask every single person and but it starts off like that it starts off with a bit of an icebreaker and if they say yes so let's suppose or sorry let's say let's say i ask them do you know what's going on here and they say yeah i think it's uh, something about veganism or animal rights or whatever you know they've, they've interpreted from what they've seen Uh, I'll be like, yeah, yeah, exactly. So we're a group called anonymous for the voices and I just go right into the same explanation and I support what they're thinking. And often what happens in that case is there's a bit of a chuckle because they then recognize that I'm with the group and they're trying to explain to me what's happening. So it's kind of funny and uh, and we'll laugh about it. And it's just a good way to start off the conversation. So that's my, that's my go-to is like, Hey, do you know what's going on here?
1: That's awesome. I think that's a great icebreaker. Uh, actually might have to start using that one for sure. So. I normally go, I normally say, you know, Hey, have you seen, well, normally I just, sometimes I'll just say, Hey, sometimes it's just a matter of me going up and just saying, Hey, how are you doing? You know, just like a, just a very basic greeting, but, um, you know, getting right into that powerful questioning. Uh, that's awesome. Um, so, okay. So how
0: also, actually, sorry. I'll also tell you why I, I've tested out so many different, I, I've talked to probably, I think I estimate between 1500 and 2000 people on the streets and I, I've tested out different openings and I, and I suggest everyone do this. Like, When you're in sales or when you're you're in outreach, test out different strategies and and test them out over a a period of time so you can get a sense of how people react. And what I recognize with this one is that it forces people to start thinking immediately. Like it's not a, hey, how you doing? And then they're trying to size you up right away. It's like, it just puts them into this mindset like, oh, like, do I know what's going on here? And they're, 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 it's almost like distracting them from what, a typical opening might be for, you know, when you're walking down the street and someone's trying to leaflet you or they're trying to stop you to talk to you about some charity they're raising money for. And they have this like fake, like, Hey, how are you doing today? Yeah, yeah. Like, people already know that. Um, and so I don't want to give them that vibe. And, and, and I, you know, I'm not being inauthentic here because I actually do want to know if they have an idea of what's happening here and I'm going to supplement that and I'm going to add value to them immediately. I'm going to help. Um, I'm going to help. Uh, them re- recognize what is happening here because most people are confused and if I just start asking them questions and I'm going to start asking them some pretty deep questions in a second here if I start asking them questions without trying to build any rapport without even giving them a little bit of value first it becomes more difficult so that's that's why I like starting the conversation off that way and then I still hit them with a few what I would consider kind of icebreaker questions and then I'll get into the heavier stuff about how they feel about what they're seeing that sort of thing but I kind of ease them into that conversation.
1: Yeah. So what are, the, what are a few of those icebreaker questions that you ask? Yeah. So so do you know
0: what's going on here? The explanation. And then I end the explanation with the question I think that you asked, which is, uh, have you seen this type of footage before? And then uh, usually the answer, the, the typical answer that I've had pretty much anywhere in the world is yes. Like more than 50% of people have seen some sort of footage like this. Uh, so if they say yes, I'll say, oh, cool. Where, where have you seen it before? And again, these are somewhat irrelevant, but it's just an icebreaker. It's just a way to get the conversation flowing. It's a way to, to let them feel my vibe that I'm, you know, positive, that I'm not trying to, you know, attack them or anything like that. And, uh, and so they'll share where they've seen it, maybe online or something. And, uh, then, uh, I'll go into like, Oh, so, and, and I saw that you just walked up here. What have you managed to see here so far? So I'll ask them about what they've observed at this event so far, because I also know that they probably haven't had a chance to see a lot. Right, So it kind of creates that gap in their mind. Like, oh, well, I haven't really seen a lot. I mean, they might try to explain something they've seen on the screen. Uh, or they might say, oh, actually, I'm not too sure. I just walked up. And that gives me a good reason to say, oh, here, well, then come closer. And I'll walk, <laughs> actually walk away from them. So I'll say, oh, here, come closer. And I'll actually walk up to the cube because most people stand really far away from the cube. And right. so it's hard from to see. I mean, if they can clearly see it and there's no one in the way blocking Fine, no problem. But usually, I need to guide people to a better viewing position. So I know that people would feel somewhat uncomfortable um, standing really, really close to the cube because they feel like they're interrupting or they're blocking other people. So I alleviate that for them, that kind of social stress, just by saying, Oh, here, let me show you, come closer. And I'll just walk away from them. I'll, I'll just start walking and I'll walk up to the point where I think is a good place for us to stand. And they will always, always, always walk up beside me and stand there. And now we're in a great viewing position. We're side by side, which I really like, that kind of side by side um, conversation uh, position, I guess. And then we're looking at the screen. And at that point, when I when, it, when we got in there, now they're somewhat committed to this experience. And I, and I really view this as like an experience for them. And now I can also give them some time in silence to just watch the video, right? And maybe we can even just quickly address what they're seeing so they understand what that is. And then uh, once we're at that point, then I start getting into the questions like, so, you know, when you see this, when you see animals treat, being treated like that, h- how do you feel? How does that make you feel? And the most common answer is like sad, bad, or mad, uh, or something like that. So uh, and let's say they say, oh, sad, really sad. Uh, I don't leave it there because I want to help them explore their values, right? I'm trying to facilitate thought. I'm trying to help them understand why they feel sad. So, my next question would be something, well, well oh, what specifically about this makes you feel sad? Right? Which is essentially asking why. Why do you feel sad? I, I avoid using the word why so that they don't feel like they have to defend themselves or they don't have to feel like they have to justify themselves. Right. But I would say something like yeah. So, what specifically makes you feel sad? And, um, you know, even uh, I'm kind of just saying it here, but you notice that the tone, my tone of voice also changed when I asked that question. So I'll, I'll, I'm empathizing with them, even in my voice, I might touch my chest, I might touch my heart or something say, yeah, what, what specifically makes you feel sad about this? And you'll see it on my face as well, that it's totally appropriate to feel sad. And you know, the, you'll get all different types of answers, but that's kind of, that's the kickoff. That's the start to it. And then, you know, there's a, there's a probably another 10, 12 questions that I'll go through, uh, which explore. So there's kind of four main categories, uh, scene, and this is what I named them scene, feel, problem, solution. So we talked about scene there. Have you seen it before? And where have you seen it? We talk about the feelings and how they feel about it. We talk about the problem, which is essentially that most people, including themselves, they're against what they're seeing on the screen. It bothers them. And so the, so the problem question is well, what allows this to happen if so many people are against it? And again, it's a really challenging question for them to figure out well, yeah, why is this happening if. I feel this way and other people feel that way. And we go through that question set in the problem. And then when we get to the solution one, I invite them to come up with solutions. You know, well, what can we do if we're, if we're against this? Right. And uh, I guide them kind of down that path. And so that's that's kind of the, the, the four main pillars of my my questioning.
1: And, and I think something you said that's so critical is when you talk about the solution, you said, what can we do? You ask them the question instead of immediately going into providing them with advice um, I think that's I think that's really powerful because they they might because then it gives them it gives them the opportunity to say, like, well, we could stop eating animals like it. It gets them to come to the conclusion, you know, themselves. And, and there's so much power in that, because then if you tell them, if you tell them that information, you know, like the, some may be be receptive to it. And others may not, but if you get them to say it themselves, right there is the key. You've you've just got them to, you know, say this, this solution to this problem, um, something that they may have never thought about before. They're thinking, hey, there's this problem. What's the solution? Oh, I know what the solution is. Th- now they have the power. Now they have the power to do what they want with that information. And because they're in an emotional state, that's going to open them up to then going and researching further.
0: People believe what they say, not what they hear. I love that. Yeah. It's, it's so powerful. And that's, that's the, the whole idea behind mastering vegan outreach and the, and, and the, the coaching framework that I teach. It's, if we can find ways and we can ask powerful questions to get people to come to their own conclusions, they're more likely, they're most likely to be convinced by their own conclusions than by ones that other people have discovered. That's a bit of a paraphrase of a of a quote from Blaise Pascal. But um, yeah, when people figure it out for themselves, it's so much more powerful. And so that's the trick. That's what we have to try and figure out how to do is how do we get them to figure out? And when people say that, people have definitely come up with that answer. Well, we could stop buying those products. We could stop eating meat. My next question to them, and good coaches challenge people, right? So I challenge them. I say, well, yeah, that would be a great solution. But do you think you can actually do that? Yeah. (laughs) Straight up, like. Can you? Are you actually capable of that? Because that's a great solution. But what would be the hardest thing for you if you decided to do that? Let's say, you, you know now that you know what happens, you decided to make that change, what would be the, the most difficult thing for you? And now I go into inviting objections. And you want to be able to deal with and invite objections so that you can coach them through them. And it, also, objection handling is a big uh, topic. There's a whole webinar just on objection handling, which uh, a lot of people... I mean, I'll say this straight up. A lot of people do it wrong. <laughs> they just, they they get into these debates. They don't mean to. That's not their intention. But when you're not conscious about the the, the format that you're choosing to, or the, the communication style, the framework is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. When you choose a, a certain framework unconsciously, it always defaults to that to you're trying to prove them wrong, right? So there's a really beautiful way to to address people's objections. And again, just with the idea, with the goal of helping them figure it out for themselves.
1: Yeah. So this sounds like a a scenario where someone is pretty interested or at least open to, you know, hearing what you have to say. What do you do in a situation where somebody comes up and maybe they're either immediately defensive or they say like a bacon joke or yeah. you know they clearly have like zero interest in, in what you're, you're having to say. Do you leave those people alone or is there a certain way that you go about that?
0: No way. No, I love those. Those are a different type of challenge. So I told you I'm competitive, right? I'm competitive with myself and I don't like giving up on people too quickly. There are times where you do have to give up, um, but definitely not that early. I mean, so there are people that are going to crack jokes and I can try to tell you a quick story right now. I'll, I'll try to keep it short. I was at a cube in Prague, after the conference for animal rights in Europe. And there were this, there was a big cube and there was this um, laughing sound that came from one side of the cube where I wasn't, I wasn't on that side. And I heard this laughing and I looked over because you don't hear laughing at cubes normally because the footage you're seeing is horrible. And so there was these guys just laughing and cracking jokes. And I looked around and I saw all of the outreachers were all like really intimidated. There's like, like six big dudes, you know? Laughing, and uh, I saw the the outreaches around them. Like, 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 I'm not going to go and talk to them. So, what? Do, of course, what do I do? I just like <laughs> beeline straight to those guys. You know, I, I don't break eye contact. I'm walking straight up to them, and this is where attitude and, and the next webinar actually that's coming up on what day is it today? I don't know. It's coming up in about a week. Um, is all about. It's called attitude is everything. And when I went up to them, my attitude was. Not defensive at all. Um, I I know why people laugh at this stuff. I know that they're uncomfortable. I know that it's a defense mechanism. So the best way to deal with that is not to react, right? Like I'm not gonna react to that defensiveness. I'm gonna try and help them get over that. So I walk up to them. And, uh, I went right up to the guy who seemed to be kind of the, the, the ringleader, the alpha guy and, <laughs> and, uh, cracking the most jokes. And I walked up to him and I said, I started kind of laughing. I'm like, Hey, so I had a big smile on my face. I'm like, Hey, so I can obviously tell like you're, you're, uh, you find this weird, right? Like this is obviously a little strange because a cube for anyone that doesn't know, it's a bunch of people dressed in black with these white Guy Fox masks on, uh, holding computer screens in this like perfectly rigid square formation. So I get it. It's a little weird, Right. And uh, and that's what I said to the guys. I kind of laughed. I'm like, yeah, it was a little weird, right? Uh, and I'm like, do you do you disagree with what we're doing or, or what's going on? You know, but in a really positive, friendly tone. And I think the guy kind of just ended up kind of cracking another joke and trying, to, you know, trying to impress his mates. And, um, I just, I kind of laughed and I agreed. I said, yeah, I know. I know this is kind of weird. I, I mean, I know if I were walking by and I saw this, I'd, I'd probably laugh too. I'm like, but let me ask you a question. You're not like on the screens, obviously there, there's animals that are like being like tortured there. You're not laughing at, at their suffering. Right. And when I asked him that question, the guy was like, no, 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 of course not. And his whole tone changed. And uh, I'm like, okay, good, because like that that would be a little kind of worsen. So what is it that bothers you about seeing that? And then we just got right into the conversation. <laughs> and we ended up having like a, a good 10, 15-minute conversation with these six dudes. And it was mainly me talking to the the, the, the main guy, the, the clown that was making them all laugh. But uh, the jokes started getting less and less through the conversation. And by the end of it, all six of them, when I, I kind of fanned out a set of um, AV cards with all the resources and the Vegan 22 Challenge... All six of them reached out, grabbed the card, and they all committed to doing the Vegan 22 Challenge. Wow. So it's, you know, the, the process in the middle of that conversation was the same as we kind of just, well, we didn't talk about the whole process, but it was the same. It was just the, the beginning that was different. And it was just not being afraid of them. Like, what's the worst that could happen? If I went up to them and they kept laughing and they called me an idiot and they walked away, all right, like, <laughs> that's what sales teaches you, right? It teaches you to have a tough skin because, you know, you can either not have that opportunity. I could have reacted negatively towards them, uh, you know, or just not gone up to them and that would have been a missed opportunity. So I try to I try to empathize with people and understand why they might be defensive in that scenario and, you know, meet them where they're at and then try and again guide them into this conversation. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but oftentimes if you don't become defensive, you can really break down other people's um defenses.
1: Yeah. And just being okay with like you said, you know, some people just aren't gonna respond to it. And and that's that. You gotta have a, a tough skin when you do this.
0: Yeah, and not blame them. You know that, that's one of the biggest challenges that we have. Our egos get the best of us sometimes, and then we blame people. Right? It's very easy. It would have been very easy, I think, to just call these guys assholes, to post about it on Facebook, and be like, these assholes came up to the keep, they were laughing, they probably don't give a shit about animals. Like, it's you know what? It, that's the easy route. You know, I think the tough route is being vulnerable yourself. You know and, and recognizing their humanity recognizing that this is uncomfortable for them you know maybe they're you know we just have to there's this expression that i heard at that conference actually at the, at the care for uh, sorry at the conference for animal rights in europe the care conference um by a, a really really smart dude his name is tobias lanehart
1: oh yeah um he awesome book he runs by
0: him. and yeah yeah he's got a good book. Um, I I will openly say I don't agree with all of his points, and we've actually had some great conversations and some good debates over over certain points, but uh, I, I respect the hell out of him. And one of the things that he said in his talk, which really stuck with me, I'll never forget it, was this quote, and it was, There, but for the grace of God go I there before the grace of god go i meaning like you know whether you believe in god or not i mean you could replace that with luck but you know there for if it weren't for luck i mean i could be that person i could be in their position right i could be someone who is laughing at this i could be a slaughterhouse worker i could who knows what i would be if i were born in a different time in a different scenario you know yeah. whatever so recognizing that and not judging people for that is it's difficult to do uh, and i'm not always perfect at it by any means but when i'm conscious about it uh, the, the, the results that you can get from not judging people and actually just recognizing why they're defensive, why they might be angry, why they might, you know, be really, yeah, there's some really like hateful people against vegans. Right. But, but why, like what, what leads them to be that way? You know? And, and you can almost empathize and sympathize with them in in a way it's like, shit, that sucks. Like imagine if I were that closed off, right? What would I want? What would I need someone to do for me to help me get past that? So that's the idea behind um, kind of the the attitude. And we're going to talk a lot about attitude in the the next webinar.
1: Powerful stuff, man. Really powerful stuff. I'm sure we could spend hours uh, sitting here talking. But of course, that's, you know, (laughs) what your organization is for and your webinars and all that. So uh, I think we will leave it at at that and just... uh, hopefully kind of create a call to action here for people to check out, uh, amazing vegan outreach and all the stuff that you're doing. Um, because it's amazing. It's, it's needed. Clearly you have a, a very good head on you when it comes to this kind of stuff, you know what you're talking about. Um, I've learned a lot, even just from this podcast and I'm, I'm excited to actually, uh, uh check out some of your webinars too. So I would, I would love to learn more. Um, so in reference to that, you know, where, where can people reach you at?
0: The website is the best resource, I think, because it has all the links to all of the all of the webinars, the video library. There are some speeches. Oh, there's also outreach conversations on there. So if you want to see examples, and by the way, like <laughs> you, you also recognize when you watch the outreach um, conversations that I've had recorded, you, you recognize how imperfect. Okay, like th- this framework is. So just to be really, really clear with people, the framework that I teach, it's like this perfect scenario. And, and it's good to learn it. Uh, Picasso said, learn the rules like a pro so that you can break them like an artist. And you'll see me breaking rules all the time in conversations, uh, sometimes on purpose and sometimes just because it's impossible to be like a perfect, you know, a perfect communicator, but um, but you do your best. And so uh, hopefully the framework that you guys find on that website on amazingveganoutreach.com helps at least provide some guidance and, uh, and then go out there and just try some of these new these new techniques and see how they work for you and and tweak them and make them your own and make sure um, you know, first and foremost that you're authentic in your communication and hopefully these tools help you be more authentic. And uh, for anyone that wants to reach out to me personally, uh, you can email me at alex at amazingveganoutreach.com or on the website, there's a contact form. You can go in there. You can book leadership coaching sessions. Uh, Yeah, please get in touch. And and it's literally what I um, have chosen to do is to support Activists and support vegans in this movement to help non-human animals. So if I can help in any way, uh, please reach out
1: Awesome What's the future for yourself and amazing vegan outreach? Uh,
0: Good question. So I want to increase the reach of the webinars so if anyone Watches a webinar and finds it useful Please share the heck out of it because I think that it really will have a positive effect for a lot of people that are speaking about veganism uh, I also want to grow the uh, workshop facilitation team. So if anybody is a trained facilitator, if anybody has experience in facilitating workshops or in education as a teacher or adult learning, anything like that, and you want to become involved, uh, please reach out to me. And uh, I'm looking for people who have that, that background to uh, be able to deliver more of these workshops. There's a really high demand. I just can't be in every part of the world at all the time. Uh, sorry, at all times. So yeah, let me know. And, um, and yeah, just, just extend, extend the reach of, of, uh, of these tools to people that could benefit from them.
1: Alex, thank you so much for being on the show, man. Truly, truly humbled to have you on here, uh, to be able to learn, um, from your insight and, and the experience you have. And hopefully the listeners gain some insight from this episode as well. Um, definitely stay in touch would love to have you back on the show again at some point um just because i feel like you have so much information to share that's really valuable and critical to this movement so again man thank you for being here i uh, really enjoyed talking to you
0: yeah thanks man thanks for having this podcast thanks for thanks for having me on and uh, i'd definitely be glad to uh to continue the conversation offline and, and to even uh, join you on another one
1: absolutely man talk soon
0: all right brother. take care thanks
1: Thank you guys so much for listening. If you enjoyed the content of this episode and found value in the message, please share with a family member, a friend, a loved one, anyone you think would also resonate with this message. If you guys like the show, please leave me a rating and review on iTunes. It helps spread the message as far as it possibly can go. And if you guys want to stay updated with me, what I'm doing, and also have a chance to win some prizes, some giveaways, and hear about some exclusive offers, go to my website, www.theveganmanlyman.com and sign up for my newsletter. My name is Jake Singer, and this is the Vegan Manly Man Podcast.